Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22 through chapter 6, verse 3. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have, and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say, and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you, and we will hear it and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents. But you stand here by me. And I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long, Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be with you, friends. I'm Matthew, if I haven't met you. Another one of the pastors here. And I am so thankful that we get to gather around the word of God this morning. We read the word, we pray the word, we sing the word, we preach the word, and we speak God's word to one another. That's that's what our church is built on. And I ask this morning, Lord, as we turn our attention to this word, that you would help us to not think small thoughts of a great God. We confessed earlier to you where we shrink you down to our size. 
God, we don't want to do that. And we thank you that where we have, you care for us by giving us scriptures like this to lift our eyes to the eternal God. Lord Jesus, all over this room this morning, lift eyes. All over this room this morning, open deaf ears. If you don't open our eyes, if you don't open our ears, we will not see the King in all his beauty. So do both of those things, we pray, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Caleb, by the way, you did a great job leading us this morning for the first time ever. (laughs) That was a treat, pal. That was a treat. Friends, there is a glory beyond this world that you and I can scarcely imagine. Scarcely fathom. That there is an infinite majesty, a radiant splendor that the universe cannot contain. But before anything else existed, he was there. Before time existed, he was there. Why do do I say he? Because the God who created the world and everything in it is not a spiritual essence that is one with the cosmos or enveloped by the cosmos. He is transcendent, set apart, self-existent, contingent on nothing and no one outside himself. He's, he's not an, an immaterial force or a religious concept, or or a logical consequence of human reasoning requiring an unmoved mover to set the world in motion. He is a magnificently personal being who enjoys perfect community within himself as one God in three persons. He is not the proverbial man upstairs, the elephant of which every faith sees a part, or a souped up version of you and me. He does not owe you. He does not answer to you. He did not create you because he needed you. From eternity past, he has been fully and completely and perfectly satisfied with all that he is and all that he does. His ways are perfect. 
His deeds are righteous. His, his wisdom is unassailable. His power is supreme. And here's the crazy thing about all that. None of that is human opinion. Or hypothesis. Or make-believe. That, that is precisely who God is. Because that is precisely who God has told us that he is. How so? Because he's a whole lot more than, than a God who's just there. He's a God who speaks. He's a speaking kind of God. Psalm 135, verse 15, the idols of the nations, false gods, are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not what? They do not speak. They don't speak. Who, who is the true and living God? In contrast, Psalm 103, verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. How did he do that? Through the power of his voice. Exodus 19.9, and the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. Isaiah 40 verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. He reveals himself to us, friends. He, he, he causes us to, to stand in awe of his splendor and majesty through the words that proceed from his mouth. And that is exactly how Moses wants Israel to understand the Ten Commandments. And in Deuteronomy 5 verse 22, we finally reach the end of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> We made it. We've been lingering here for several months, a mini-series within our larger series in Deuteronomy. Moses has just finished reminding Israel of these 10 words or 10 commandments that, that, that function as a, a foundation for the entire rest of the law. Think of the 10 commandments. It's a table of contents for the rest of Deuteronomy. And Moses, shortly before he dies here is is in the middle of a second of four sermons that he preached to Israel as they were on the edge of the Jordan River about to enter the promised land the land God said he would give them and the purpose of his sermon is found in chapter 5 verse 33 look there You shall be careful to walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. What, what is Moses after? Why is he preaching? Why, why is he pastoring in this moment? Because careful obedience leading to life and joy and peace is the goal. Careful obedience. 
But obeying God's word is hard. You, you can say amen to that without embarrassing the Lord, okay? Like, it's hard. It's, it's not easy. We, we stumble and fall, right? We, we know what we're supposed to do. Other people tell us what we're supposed to do. Parents remind us of what we're supposed to do. And then we do the exact opposite. What, what will compel us to persevere? Is there anything that will keep you, no less than Israel, from, from saying, you know what? It's just too much work. I quit. Here's the key, my friends. Moses gives it to Israel here. When you are gripped by a vision of the glory of God, you will be careful to obey the word of God. That's the key. Always has been. Doesn't matter what culture you're from. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how little or how much. You know, you know about all that's in scripture. You've been a Christian for a little amount of time, a lot, a long time. This is the key. When you're gripped by a vision of the glory of God, then and only then will you be careful to obey the word of God. And Moses has just finished reminding Israel of the, of the essence of the law. But having done so, he doesn't say, okay, one, two, three, let's go commandments, go. He reminds them of the essence of the law. And then what does he do? What landing does he stick, so to speak? He points their eyes back to the lawgiver. Think about that that they might stand in awe of him. For it is those who live in awe of God's glory who persevere in obeying his word. God hasn't changed in this regard, friends. If we can see in our own day through the eyes of faith what Israel saw on that day, we too will be compelled to keep God's commands. So here's the question. What do we need to see? (laughs) What do you need to see? Well, Moses tells us, here's the first thing. We need to see that the voice of God reveals the splendor of his glory. The voice of God reveals the splendor of his glory. Point number one, look at verse 22, chapter five, verse 22. These words, the 10 commandments, the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain. So the entire nation heard them. As they were gathered around Mount Sinai, the Lord didn't speak to one or two people and then leave it up to them to kind of convince the rest. Good luck. No, he personally addressed all of them. And how did they know it was the Lord speaking? Well, because of a subtle thing called a mountain (laughs) covered, quaking with fire and clouds and thick darkness. Nothing subtle about that. Mountains represent the dwelling place of God. The meeting place between heaven and earth. Fire represents the consuming holiness and purity of his presence. And thick darkness communicates the unfathomable depth of his majesty. Translation, thick darkness. God is present, yet he's not fully seen or grasped by human perception. But where their sight was limited, their hearing was not. 
the Lord spoke with what? A loud voice. I love that. The God with whom we have to do is not sitting in vanity fair, hawking his wares, trying to be heard above hundreds of rivals. He spoke with a loud voice. (laughs) A loud voice. We're not talking about one or two people having an impression or a sense that God was saying something and creating a religion out of it. It was arresting. It was clear. His voice could not be overlooked, tuned out, or ignored. And he added no more. No more words. What's what's that shout? That God's word is holy and completely sufficient. As it stands, as it's spoken, as it's delivered. God doesn't do, oops, P.S., And he wrote them on two tablets of stone to communicate what? Their permanent and enduring character. Isaiah 48, the word of our God will endure forever. And the entire experience was was a gift from the Lord to his people. But, But when Israel heard God's voice, what did she do? Did she begin live streaming? Hey, let's put this on Facebook. Or or did she open a picnic basket and say, it's about time this God we've been following, Moses, finally had the guts to have a real man-to-man conversation with us because I have some questions for him. Why have we been in the wilderness for 40 years? Yeah, answer that. No, look at verse 23. As soon as they heard God's voice out of the midst of the darkness, every tribe sent their elders and chief men immediately to Moses begging to leave. Why? Because they feared for their life. They saw God's glory and greatness. They they came face to face with his manifest presence. They they heard his voice out of the midst of the fire and, and the wonder, the marvel, the awe that immediately filled their hearts was not, wow, God actually speaks. Or cool, keep going, Lord. I'm learning all kinds of things I've always wondered about. No, look at verse 24. Behold, this day we have seen God speak with man and man still live. Have have you ever had a near-death experience? Some of us are older, raid the mental archives. (laughs) Ever had a near-death experience? When you do, what happens? Time slows down. Every, every second feels, feels like a precious gift. You, oh my goodness. I missed hitting that car by inches. Like every heartbeat, every, every breath, it, you're not taking it for granted. For like 90 seconds until you go back to all the normal things of life, right? But but in that moment, time slowed down. You can't believe you're alive. When when Israel heard the Lord's voice, that's exactly what she felt. In in the depth of her soul, in the the core of her being, she, she immediately knew he is not like us. He's holy. 
We're not. We, we don't belong here. We can't stay here. Verse 25. For this great fire will consume us. Friend, therein, side note, lies the moral foundation of the entire universe. And the only sure hope for all who are oppressed. What's that? That there is a righteous judge seated in heaven. He's for real. Who will not let the guilty go unpunished. The the fire was certainly terrifying. But notice it was the voice that made their hearts tremble. Right? If we, if what do they say? If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. This voice is not a safe place. To be hearing this voice is to be in an exceedingly dangerous kind of place. Why why did they feel it? Why, Why were they filled with fear at the voice of God? Because the voice revealed the splendor of his glory. The the word, his word, imparted something of of the weight of his divine nature. nature, And it crushed them. They they could feel that happening. Like like the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6. They were undone. They they were disintegrating. Friends, God still communicates the weight of his glory through the power of his word. He's still doing that. I mean, the apostle Peter had some pretty spectacular firsthand eyewitness kind of experiences, right? And he was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's pretty cool. But, but after all he saw, all he witnessed, it, it was the wonder of God's word. The word of God that gripped his soul. Second Peter 1.19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention is to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The same, what's Peter's point? The same power. The same glory that that caused Israel to quake at Mount Sinai is bound up in the scriptures that you hold in your hand. That's crazy. That's stunning. But why, why is that the case? Because the God of Jacob is still in the speaking business. That wasn't a thing he did at one point. When you wake up in the morning and you read God's word or you're, you're driving in your car and you're listening to God's word, you're not reading inspirational material. You're, you're not listening to moral guidance. You're not studying a religious textbook or a set of doctrines or tips for a successful life. You are being personally addressed by the living God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. The word of God reveals the splendor of his glory. Got to see that. But there's more. Point number two. That's good enough. The fear of God compels us to draw near with trembling joy. 
Look at verse 27. I want you to notice the request Israel makes in response to hearing God's voice. It's instructive. Verse 27, Moses, you go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us, all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. What are they ordering? What are they asking for? They're asking for a mediator. They're asking for someone to go between them and God. In the words of Job, Moses, we need someone who can lay his hand on us both. We cannot continue to commune with God directly. We will die, Moses. We need you to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. How, think about this. How would you expect the Lord to respond to that request? How would you expect him to respond to that? What would most of the songs, many of the songs, we hear on Christian radio suggest about the way God would respond to that? Come on, guys. You're overreacting. I'm I'm not like that at all. I'm a nice guy who welcomes everyone. It's a judgment-free zone. Israel, you you have me completely wrong. Love is God. Look at verse 27. Verse 28. End of 28. What does the Lord say? I've heard the words that they've spoken to Moses. They're dead right. They're right in all they've spoken. For once, Israel got it right. (laughs) You're, You're convinced the fire of my holiness will consume you? You're right. You stand in my presence and wonder why you're still alive? You should. You hear the words of my mouth? Tremble at my voice? Good, Israel. You you feel undone before the weight of my glory? Israel, you are beginning to perceive me for who I really am. Verse 29. Oh, you're the longing in Yahweh's heart. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always to fear me. To fear me. What, what sort of fear, let's double click this. What sort of fear is the Lord talking about? It, it wasn't a terror that, that made Israel want to have nothing to do with God. What was it? It was a reverential awe that that trembled before the weight of his glory. That they captivated her heart and made her what? Eager to hear and do God's commands. It's the the polar opposite. Please hear this. of Of the casual attitude that we so often, even in the church, readily adopt toward the Lord. Okay, the 
the attitude that saunters into church on Sunday morning. Unconcerned if you're late. Mumbles through the words of some songs. Dozes or plays games on your smartphone through most of the sermon. And then scoots out as quickly as possible when the service ends. Because there's a whole lot of other things that feel more valuable, more worthy, more significant, more satisfying than God. Friend. If that's you, humble yourself, please. And recognize the problem is not that that God is boring. The, The problem is that you are deaf and blind. You're you're like a man with earplugs at the symphony. What's the big deal? Why why is everybody moving their arms like that? That's odd. (laughs) Or or a woman wearing a blindfold on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Why why do I hear all these pictures clicking? And What's the big deal? The problem is not that there's nothing to hear or see. The God with whom we have to do is, is infinitely glorious. Greater than you can imagine. The problem is that the God of this world has blinded your eyes so you can't see and dulled your ears so you cannot hear. So, what should you do? Well, do this. Don't content yourself with going through the spiritual motions, checking the Sunday attendance box when you know full well that your heart is dead and cold toward the Lord. Stop doing that. Start what? Asking God to help you see. (laughs) Asking God to help you hear. There's a reason Solomon says in Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, if you don't fear or stand in awe of God for who he is, then guess what? You don't know God for who he is. Mike Reeves says it this way in his wonderful book, Rejoice and Tremble. Overwhelmed by his goodness and majesty and holiness and grace and righteousness. By by all that God is, the faithful tremble. The biblical theme of the fear of God helps us to see the sort of love toward God that is fitting. It shows us that God does not want passionless performance or a vague preference for him. To encounter the living, holy, and all-gracious God truly means that we cannot contain ourselves. He's not a truth to be known unaffectedly or a good to be received listlessly. Seen clearly, the dazzling beauty and splendor of God must cause our hearts to quake. Keep in mind, even as I say that, okay, God isn't talking about Israel and King's way being afraid of him. Some of you know what that feels like. You're, you're keeping all the rules on the outside. But, but it's only because you're terrified of getting on God's bad side. You, you don't want to get in trouble. You want to stay out of trouble. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's being afraid of the Lord. 
Fearing the Lord and being afraid of the Lord are not the same thing. Being afraid of the Lord is trying to stay off his radar, wishing he would go away. The the fear of the Lord is completely different. What is that? It's a trembling joy. The the awe we experience when when our souls are captivated by the wonder of who he is. But Moses' response to Israel in in Exodus 20-20, when she stood before Mount Sinai 40 years earlier, it, it reveals the difference here. Okay, look at this verse. This is so important. Moses said to the people, Do not fear or be afraid. For God has come to test you that the fear of him, reverent awe, may be before you that you may not sin. Do not fear that the fear of him may be before you. (laughs) How in the world does that make sense? If He's talking about being afraid over here and a reverential trembling awe over here. And in the moment Israel heard God's voice, she experienced this, the fear of the Lord. She she knew she couldn't remain in God's presence. She needed a mediator, someone who could stand before the Holy One and not die, someone who could represent her, who could receive God's word on her behalf and communicate God's word on his behalf. And God granted the request. Look at verse 30. Go and say to them, Moses, return to your tents. You can go. I'm telling you to go. So that you are not consumed. Go. Don't stay in here. Don't remain. Go back to your dwelling. But you, Moses, stand here by me and I will tell you the whole commandment the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them that they may do them in the land that I'm giving them to possess. Moses functioned as Israel's mediator. That's the point. He came close while she stood far away. He he remained in God's dwelling place while she left for her own. He did for Israel what she could not do for herself. Friend, Our spiritual need has not changed because our God hasn't changed. We we too need a mediator and God has graciously provided the mediator we need. Only he is immeasurably better than Moses. Hebrews 3 verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Here's the big question, all right? Ask it, let's answer it. What makes Jesus, the son of God, a better mediator, a better priest than Moses? He gives us life. Not by entering the father's house on our behalf, but by bringing us into the Father's house. Indeed, by filling us with the Spirit, 
Check this out. He makes you the father's house. Hebrews 7:22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who what? Return to their tents. No, draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What's the point? That that the fear of the Lord compelled Israel to stand far off, to go back to her dwelling place instead of remaining in God's dwelling place. Friend, the gospel of Jesus Christ completely reverses that dynamic. Where, Where once the fear of the Lord compelled God's people to stand far off, now the fear of the Lord compels us to draw near. But if God hasn't changed, why is that a safe move? (laughs) Good question. Why would anyone attempt to draw near to a consuming fire? I try to keep my kids away from such things. Psalm 130 verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? You can't stand. I can't stand. Even even Moses couldn't continue to stand. Psalm 130 verse 4. But with you, there is forgiveness. That you may be feared. It's, It's the forgiveness of sins that Jesus won for us at the cross that enables us to draw near in the fear of the Lord, with trembling joy, fueled by the fear of the Lord. To our Father in heaven. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, listen, when a man really receives the pardon for all his sins, he is the man who fears the Lord. This is clearly the case, for pardon breeds love in the soul. And the more a man is forgiven, the more he loves. Where great sin has been blotted out, there comes great love. Well then, is not love the very core of the true fear of God? Think about it. When when our hearts are, are captivated with joy and delight in something, Whenever we stand in awe of, of someone or something, you fill in the blank, okay? What, what do we instinctively, automatically want to do, try to do? We draw near to that thing. We want to get close to that person. Examples. What do fiancés do when their heart, <clears throat> Abram, is awestruck by the beauty of their bride-to-be? Elena! They draw near. What do mountaineers do? Backpackers do. When their heart is awestruck by the beauty of the next summit, they draw near again and again and again. What what do, yeah, okay. What do Eagles fans do (laughs) when their heart is in awe, awestruck, by the athletic prowess of Jalen Hurts. They chase that guy for autographs, right? 
they draw near. What, what do toddlers do when their heart is captivated by the pleasures of a cookie jar filled with Oreos? Oh, look at that jar. I think I'll take a picture. No, they, they draw near. Subtly. <laughs> All, but here's the point. All of those pleasures, they pale, friends, in comparison to the joy of drawing near to the living God. And, and the experience waiting for us when we draw near to him through, through faith in Jesus, our perfect mediator, our perfect priest, that experience is immeasurably more glorious than what Israel experienced at Sinai. Hebrews 12, 18. For you have not come to, to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice, the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. But you have come, Christian, you are coming to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That is what you're coming near to Christian. That, that, that makes Sinai and all of its quaking clouds and fire and thunder and smoke a pittance. On every level, Jesus is better. Think about it. Moses taught Israel the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Moses stood temporarily on Mount Sinai. Jesus is permanently seated at the Father's right hand. Moses merely exhorted Israel to do God's commands. Jesus empowers you to do God's commands. The old covenant says, return to your tents. The new covenant says, let us therefore draw near to the throne of grace with confidence because the fear of the Lord compels us to draw near with trembling joy. That's the second thing we got to see. Here's the final one. More briefly. What do we got to see? The blessing of God rests on those who keep his commands. Or it is reserved for those who keep his commands. What do I mean by this? That the fear of the Lord isn't just right or necessary. The thing you're supposed to feel. We're supposed to have, supposed to do. Some of you kids in this room, you, you, you could give me a long list right now of stuff. Your parents have said, well, you're supposed to do this. And you're supposed to feel that. And you're not supposed to do that. No, okay? It's not just right or necessary. The fear of the Lord, it's, it's the path of life and joy and peace and every good thing. Why? Because the fear of the Lord motivates us, compels us to keep God's commands and God's blessing is reserved for those who keep his commands. Look back at verse 29. What does the fear of the Lord produce? How, how is the fear of the Lord expressed? Oh, that they had such a mind as this always to fear me and to what? 
keep all my commandments that it may go well with them and with their descendants forever. What's his point? That, that the fear of the Lord, the genuine article, not, not just, you know what? I was singing songs of worship today and I, I think I just felt something. Well, that was kind of cool. Maybe I'll come back next week. Can you sing that song again? Because I liked what I felt when we hit we, the second time on that chorus, you know, let's have some more drums there. It's all a gift, but it can also just be a pile of emotion, a pile of feeling. The fear of the Lord, true fear of God, is expressed always through a man or woman who keeps God's commands. That's what it looks like, that's what it feels like, that's what it does. Because when we take the Lord seriously, we take his word seriously. We'll believe what he says. We'll we'll trust what he says. And we'll we'll do what he says. And and we'll count walking in the path of his commands a tremendous privilege. Why? Because we know his word is a, a reflection, a revelation of his abundant goodness and his steadfast love. So, so if you really fear the Lord, you won't say, do I have to obey this command? This is ridiculous. No, you'll say, it is the greatest honor of my life to live in a way that magnifies the worth and beauty of Jesus. That's what you'll say. Why? Because you fear the Lord. That won't be a shtick. That, that won't be a... What am I supposed to say? No, that will be the overflow of your soul. Why? Because you're convinced no one is more glorious or worthy of praise than him. And you long to make much of him through the way you live. That's what we're talking about. Look back at verse 33. This really captures the heart of everything Moses says. 532 through 6.3. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. That you may live. And that it may go well with you. And that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Let me point out a couple important things in that verse. First, the words of scripture are not what your Christian friend says. Or your parents say. Or what the church says. They are what the Lord your God has commanded you. When you hear God's word, you're not dealing with the them that is the church and all the Christian people that it's not terribly difficult to find problems with and deconstruct. You're not dealing with them. You're dealing with him. When you obey Or disobey God's word. You're you're not just keeping or violating a random rule. It's personal. You're delighting in or disowning him. Second, notice the divine, verse 33, notice the divine intent of an obedience fueled by the fear of the Lord. It's not, it's not just the fear of the Lord leads to obedience. Okay, great. Obedience is the goal. We're done. No, what, what, what is, there's another goal, another so that. God, God isn't just trying to keep you under his thumb. 
some kind of power tripping oppressive way. He's seeking your good friend. Do you see that? He's, he's speaking to you because he's here to bless you. Walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. Why? Because that's what the church says. I get it, pastor. No, no. So that you may live. <laughs> that you may live. Do, do, do you want to live? <laughs> Do you long for abundant life? Do you, do you wake up on Monday morning and part of you just, I'm, Lord, how I long for life. That's the very thing he died to give you. That doesn't mean God's blessing, the smile of his favor, something that you earn through your obedience. Okay, rather in the words of Christopher Wright, God, God's blessing is, I love this, it's appropriated and enjoyed through our obedience. God doesn't want you to die. He wants you to live. And not just live in a, how quickly we sell him short. Not, not just live in a, at least you're breathing so be grateful kind of way. <laughs> you know? He wants it to go well with you. It's not just life. It's a going well kind of life. The good life. And not just the good life for a little while, but, but forever that you may what? Live long in the land. Or back to verse 29, that it may go well with them and their descendants forever. The Friend, if you have children or grandchildren, if you are faithful to fear the Lord, walk in the path of his commands, that will produce blessing for your children and your grandchildren. That's for real. But you know, I've heard people say, I know what I'm doing is wrong. I know I'm disobeying God's word. I know, I know, you don't need to tell me again. I know, but God will forgive me. Even if I leave her and everything will work out, man. Isn't that, isn't that, you've been, you preach that to me. Aren't we a gospel centered church? Friend, that is the exact opposite of what the Lord tells Israel in chapter 6, verse 3. If you want it to go well with you, if you want to multiply greatly, if, if you want to experience the fulfillment of God's promises, if you want to live in a land that's oozing, overflowing, with milk and honey, with joy and life and blessing, then there is one thing you must do. You have to be careful to hear God's word and do God's word. Because twice, final section of this passage, Moses says to Israel, be careful. Be careful. Why? Because we so quickly stand in awe of lesser glories. Right? Of, of paltry pleasures. When, when God holds out the eternal joy of knowing and following him, what's the point? What do we have to see? That the blessing of God rests, it's reserved for those who keep his commands. So if, if you are presently struggling to do something God has told you to do, Maybe you've been hearing these Ten Commandments as we preached the last two and a half months and 
And you think, goodness gracious, that ain't happening. (laughs) The answer, my friend, is not to try harder. Did you hear that? What's the answer not? Try harder. Put your Nike shirt on. (laughs) Just do it. Dang it. No. No, the answer is to grow in the fear of the Lord. Oh, wait, what? what? Thanks, Pastor. I have no clue what that means. Double click it, okay? To grow in the fear of the Lord. To meditate on God's word until your soul is gripped by a vision of his glory. Why? For when you're gripped by a vision of the glory of God, you will be careful to obey his word. (laughs) And that that means if you're going to be a Christian, newsflash, you must be a reader and a listener, not merely a watcher. Okay? It will not do to say, Pastor, I would rather watch the chosen than read the Bible. That will not do. Or I would rather browse videos on YouTube than listen to the sermon I missed last week because I was serving in King's Kids or out in the foyer on the security team. No, brothers and sisters, God didn't give us a movie. He gave us a book. And he did that knowing, lest you think, oh, well, that's easy for you to say. You took like, I don't know how many years of schooling. You've read zillions of books. Thanks for publishing your own preferences, Matthew. No, God did that knowing. He gave us a book knowing some of us naturally like books more than others. But his grace is sufficient, okay? His power is made perfect in weakness. If, if you want your affections for God to grow, if, if you want to experience the trembling joy of the fear of the Lord, you have to take up and read. That's not an option. And if you'd rather not, try YouTube. This is the option. There is no other Not because reading scripture is a magic formula, but because the word of God is our only window into the glory of God. Centered on who? The word made flesh. And if you do, and you don't feel this week what Israel felt at Sinai, hear this up front. It's not because there is a fault with the text. We're fault with God. It's because we need the spirit to give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to understand. Otherwise, the, the word would just remain letters on a page. We, we need to fervently pray with the psalmist. Lord, give me an open ear. Open my eyes. Open my heart. Open my mind to perceive wonderful things in your law. And, and if, you, if you struggle to make sense of God's word or to see anything glorious in it. Friend, please ask for help from an older Christian. All right, ask them to show you how they read. Ask them to show you how they meditate. What what do they see by the grace of God? That's a skill we can help one another to develop. Many people just come to scripture looking for what do I need to do? What do I need to not do? Friend, God wants you and we can help you learn how to read God's word. First and foremost, asking this question, what does this reveal to me about who God is? How does this help me? How does this grip my soul with a vision of the glory of God? So fear the Lord, King's way.
Draw near to him through the Son, keep his commands, and trust in his blessing.